You're listening to Cobras and Fire, a Pantheon podcast featuring special guest Steve Zink. I met a girl, Polola, and I took her back to my place. Feeling guilty, feeling scared, hidden cameras everywhere. Stop! Hold on. How are you this morning? I'm doing wonderful for a morning. Uh, what is it? 11 o'clock? Yeah. yeah all good. <laughs> what coast are you on? I'm in the middle, man. I'm in St. Paul, Minnesota. Snow in there? Yeah, we just wrapped up yesterday around noon, but it was like 14, 15 inches. Uh, is it coming your way? Do you know? You know, we're supposed to get something next week. I don't know. I mean, we've been lucky knock on wood so far we haven't had anything which is interesting yeah and even last year we had like one small thing of it but two years ago we had like what was it 32 inches in one day (laughs) but you know i i i've i've i bought a flamethrower last year for are you being serious here yeah i've always wanted to try that to clear the lawn to clear the sidewalk so uh, when my neighbors found out, they kind of did the snow for me last year because they're all afraid I'm going to burn shit down. <laughs> so they, they kind of just, you know, I came out and everything was cleared. I was like, this is great. <laughs> Please don't use the flamethrower. Uh, everything's dry. It's, it's nice. <laughs> what you, what's the problem, man? Yeah, exactly. Uh, the most exotic thing I, I've ever done is with a, a, a leaf blower. So, uh, I, would, I tried it. I tried it. Has to be that really light, fluffy snow. That wet shit doesn't do nothing. So, no, I'm there with the, you know, my what's it? It's called an ego, and it's oh, high yeah. powered. And I'm there, and not like, yeah, I hate to anything. <laughs> All right. Well, let me uh, introduce our guest here. Uh, Welcome to Cobras and Fire. My name is Baco. And today my guest comes to us. He's a founding member of Samhain, Morning, I'm sorry, uh, Morning Noise. And you've been in Danzig for almost two decades. Uh, I'd like to welcome to the program Steve Zing. How are you this morning, Steve? I'm doing great. Looking forward to to talking to you a little bit. now, you've been with Danzig for almost 20 years. This is like the most stable lineup he's had. Yeah, let's see. Uh, you know, uh, continuously, you know, myself and uh, con- for continuous years now, it's 15 years with Tommy Victor and almost the same with Johnny Kelly. So it's been, you know, pretty much the same lineup. You're still out in, like, the Lodi, New Jersey area? I see you got Lodi on your hoodie there. It's Lodi pizza, man. Yeah, baby. Um, so I don't live in Lodi anymore. Uh, I'm about 20 minutes okay. north of Lodi, but uh, I go to Lodi for the pizza, right? 
you know, uh, <laughs> best pizza in the world. Uh-oh. I've had pizza all over the world, but you can't beat Lodi Pizza. Man, I just did a list of my favorite pizza places locally here. So, uh, yeah, next time I'm out in the East Coast, I'm going to see if I can't track down Lodi. You call me, I'll take you. Oh, book it, man. Um, uh, let me ask you a little bit before you join Sam Hain. Give me a little background before on your whole, you know, connection to that scene. I assume you knew Glenn for some time before being asked to join uh, Sam Hain. I had met Glenn when I was young through Doyle because Doyle and I were friends from kindergarten through high school. So I met uh, same grade. Glenn. Yes. Okay. Yeah, we 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 were in the same classes for all those years. So, uh, known him since I was five. Wow. And, um, but I got to know Glenn more by this old beatnik dude uh, that was would help out the misfits, and he helped Morning Noise out. And uh, Glenn would hang out with him and stuff. He was a really cool guy, and. Uh, that's how I got to know Glenn. And then Glenn helped me when I was coming out with the original Morning Norris 45. Glenn helped me. Uh, he did the layout. He drew the cover for me and, you know, uh, told me where to get the jackets pressed and turned me on to all these independent distributors that at, that were in existence at the time. And uh, he taught me a lot about, you know, all the DIY stuff. It was a, you know, great learning experience. And how people never pay their bills. <laughs> uh, this is really geeky and into the minutia. Do you know, like, what 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 would your first run of forty fives been, and roughly what would it have cost if you can even remember to to produce? Yeah, like you physically make them. Like you got the thing recorded, and now you're going to get the the sleeves. Yeah. The- so I think back then they were about a dollar dollar fifty each. Okay. How big you know, of runs would you do? Like fifty, a hundred? No, that? we would do like five hundred. Okay. Um, you know, it's interesting. Like, um, so the first morning noise, the forty-five, that was produced. Um, it was a gift from my mother. It was a high school graduation gift. She paid for the recording time, and the and the you know the pressing of the record. That's. That was my graduation gift, my high school graduation gift. That's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah, it's better than a you know card with some money in it. Well, well so your your friend Doyle, his brother is in the Misfits. Now, I'm going off memory here. Didn't didn't they basically Doyle learn how to play guitar by joining the Misfits? Is that part right? Where was there any interaction? Yeah, between well, the- I, I think I think Glenn would show him chords and stuff like that, and and that's how kind of Doyle learned, and then. When the guitar, whatever guitar player was in the band at the time, when they didn't show up for rehearsal, kind of Doyle would jump in there. Okay. Were you already playing drums at that point, or when did you start? All right, so I started playing drums uh, about four or five months after a day when Doyle invited me into the garage to listen to the Misfits rehearse. Mm. This was the original Misfits. And... I sat in a corner. I was, you know, little, <laughs> about 13 years old. And um, they launched into their music. And I I was totally, it was, I was smacked in the face like a, like a brick hit me. And I'm like, 
I got to do this. Nice. And I got to be in a band. I'm going to be in a band with that guy someday. Wow. <laughs> so months later, uh, I went uh, bike riding with a friend and met him at his garage. We lived in these apartments and he opens the garage door and there sits a drum kit. And I'm like, you play drums? He's like, well, my mom won't let me play because it's too loud. So I'm like, do you? Do you, do you want to sell them? He's like, I'll ask. So my mother bought them for me. Um, and that's that was the beginning. And I'll, I would throw on Misfit stuff and Ramones records. You know. That was the early stuff you were kind of playing along with, punk music there? Yeah. Um, I got into punk pretty early uh, do, uh, because of Doyle, actually. Not because of Doyle, but... Um, you know, Doyle would make me all these uh, eight tracks at the time, right? Mm -hmm. uh, he'd make me eight tracks of all different punk bands, mostly um, uh, like um, UK punk bands like Generation X and the Pistols and whatnot. And I had a cousin that worked for Sire Records, and she brought me home a bunch of Ramones records. And she's like, here, check this out. And I was like, oh. it hit a nerve immediately. Yeah. And uh, and then a friend of mine, I had a guitar. I just had no, um, uh, I didn't have the wherewithal or the patience to learn guitar. I had taken piano lessons. So, but a friend of mine showed me how to bar a chord. So as soon as I barred a chord, I, I was, I'm like, I can write a song. So I wrote a song. Mm. And then I got together with my cousin, John, who lived down the street. And we formed a band and then we found the original singer of Morning Noise, and we started a band before Morning Noise, and then it turned into, it morphed into Morning Noise a few years later um, out of necessity for wanting to play, out of necessity for, you know, not not being, you know, there were so many kids that were just, like, hanging out on a corner, you know, in someone's basement, but we just wanted to play music. Yeah. You know, so that's how that all formed. How long was it between like uh, the Misfits breaking up and Glenn approaching you about uh, joining or starting Samhain, basically? About one day. <laughs>
Did you know that they were going to the was 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 the uh, writing on the wall, so to speak? Uh, I, was- I knew, I, you know, I knew Glenn was frustrated. You know, I, I think at every it's for I think for Jerry and Doyle, you know, they they were involved with their uh, father's business. They had a family business. And I think at that point in their life, you know, Jerry was already married with kids. And I think there's that point where you're like, you're not sure what really your future is. Mm-hmm. For a guy like Glenn, Glenn, music, art was his life. Whether you consider art, uh, writing music, drawing things, or whatever the case may be, that encompassed his life as it still does. He never settled for the girlfriend, the wife, the kids, the you know house with the white picket fence. That wasn't him. You know, he he was a starving artist. And 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 there are people that do that. Some make it out and some don't. Yeah. And, you know, fortunately for him, he did. And he took he changed all of our lives. But, um you know, I think at the time he was frustrated. He came home from a the last Misfit show that I believe was in Detroit, and he says, "That's it. I'm I'm done." And I think he had already started pursuing some other avenues with the guys from Minor Threat and things like that. And I don't think that was really working to his advantage. And I know it wasn't. And then he's like, "I'm going to start a new band. Do you want to, you know, start it with me?" I'm like, "Well, yeah. Come on." And uh, there we go. Pretty cool. Um, kind of jumping ahead a little bit, but to bring it back, uh, Doyle and uh, Glenn, their relationship kind of rekindled when Doyle had a falling out with the Misfits. And that kind of, I, I saw you guys in 2007 with Gorgeous Frankenstein opening up uh, in Las Vegas, for instance. And Doyle came out and hammered out some Misfits tunes. By the way, that was my wedding. So you guys were technically my wedding band. Uh, still happily married. Thank, I can, happy to say. Um, I got married in Las Vegas too. Right on, bro. Uh, <laughs> uh, but then now going back to kind of when the Misfits broke up, uh, it was kind of like it was like Doyle and and Jerry left. Uh, was there ever? I don't know what Glenn's relationship with Doyle was over the years. Was there any talk of Doyle joining Sam Hain, or was he like just done with those guys altogether? No, no, no. I think he was. You know, at that point. It wouldn't have made sense, uh, you know. Sam Hain was such a, uh, a far, you know, the music was so different than yeah. what the Misfits was, and I don't think Glenn wanted any ties with the Misfits at that time. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, for him to do Misfits Part Two, that would have been too easy, you know. And then look, you morphed in, you morph into Danzig, and that's different than Sam Hain and the Misfits. Right, same voice, same writer, but he can separate himself. Yeah, you know, and and people may like stuff that Danzig has done past the first album. Some don't. You know, I think as an artist, you cannot get stuck in in or pigeonhole yourself, and he'd never do that. And that's why you won't get a mother part two. I mean, it's not necessary for him. It's about creating the art that strikes a nerve with him and hopefully and that you know that's one thing he's always taught me is like look whatever you put out make sure you like it mm. because you can't at the end of the day it's really pleasing yourself and if it hits a nerve with you hopefully it'll hurt, hit a nerve with others right and again not everybody's gonna like it 
But at the end of the day, you're the one, you're the artist. You're going to, you're the one that has to be happy. Look, I can tell you that I've put out stuff with previous bands. I don't even have it on my playlist. I don't have it on my iPod. I won't even think about that stuff. Not that it's an embarrassing, but you sit there and you're like, that really wasn't me. I don't know what I was writing for, who I was writing for. And, uh, you learn, I guess, with uh, with age and uh, when you kind of like figure out where you're going in life. That's, you know, mm-hmm. it's all a part of the journey. I do think part of getting older and maturing is, uh, at least as an artist, is when you can kind of cringe at certain moments but not be embarrassed by them. It's like, hey, that's where I was at the time. You know, it's, yeah, I, that's I, something I want to watch right now. But <laughs> I, I, not, not to say that I, I'm embarrassed by mm-hmm. stuff from the past. Right. I don't. I don't. I can't embrace it because it really wasn't me. But again, as you said, it's part of maturing. Some can do it early. Some it takes. You know, it, it all depends where your head is. Sure. Now, now, to your point, Sam Hain was drastically different than the Misfits. When you joined, were you like, well, what are we doing here? Or was it something that you gravitated to very quickly? Yeah. Myself and the other members, I think we were all kind of trying to figure out what is this, right? And little did we know that it was actually going to be something that people in the future would actually go, wow, you know, uh, it, it's kind of ground uh, setting in, in in some instances where nobody else is doing anything like that. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I think we, you can say that with Glenn with the Misfits, Sam Hain, and the early Danzig, all uh, kind of like set kind of this new sound. Yeah. And, um, you know, Glenn's got a really, Glenn could hear things that most people can't. Right. And I'm not saying like a dog can hear a certain pitch. <laughs> not frequencies. Glenn. <laughs> Glenn always had a vision, right, for what the what what it should be, and he'll pick out things. Even at rehearsals, he picks certain things out. I and sometimes you're not, you know, well, you're in the midst of playing, but he'll hear certain things that you're like, "How did he hear that?" Yeah. You know, we're in a room and it's you know it's 120 decibels, and he's able to pick certain things out. What about the drum sound on Initium? You're a drummer. Do you like it? Because it's definitely unique and sticks out, but it's it's definitely not what, what somebody... Are you a fan of it, or do you, you look back and wish you had a bigger budget? So, there's a quick story on that. Oh, right. I, I get a call to ask me, Lars Ulrich wants to know how you got that sound on Initium. And I'm like, I know, it's terrible. It's like, no, 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 it's great. <laughs> We went to the studio in Lodi, New Jersey. I found this studio in a local rock paper that was around, and I was their first paying uh, rock customer. And I did. We did the Morning Noise record there. We and we did. Uh, I think all the Sam Hain records were done there. And it was in this guy's basement of his parents' house, and. <laughs> okay. As his business expanded, he expanded. He went from eight track to 16 track to 24 track. Then he actually, this is way after I recorded there, but he actually uh, busted out his parents, uh, ba- uh, his the yard and built onto the basement. But in the state that we recorded in, 
at that time it was he had a little control room and he had a little live room and the drums were set up in this little area with this stuff around it and they were all like uh he wouldn't let me use my drum kit i had to use the house okay. drum kit and it was this little drum kit and he had all this you know um uh you know kind of like um uh muting pads on it and tape and all kinds of stuff to to make it really dead sounding and i i was not a fan in fact if you listen to the record the because the, it was so close you're kind of getting like when you hear a cymbal crash you hear and then you hear it because the cymbals were being picked up in the mics because the room was so small it wasn't even a room it was just its enclosure thing that it was kind of getting like this pickup and a bounce so it was very weird hmm. and uh, again i'm i'm i guess the sound was kind of interesting for the time. I can't say that I loved the sound. I listen to it now. You know, I, I very rarely listen to stuff that I recorded in the past, but sometimes I put it on. I'm like, I guess, you know, that wasn't so bad, but it was different for sure. Yeah. Um. Well, let's talk a little bit about the, the reunion tour, 99. I think it was 99 or 2000. Um, mm -hmm. I know I saw that uh, in Minneapolis, uh, but... Was there, um, uh, it, first of all, that was kind of interesting that you would switch between drums and bass. Was that like your first time really playing bass on stage on a regular basis? Yes. Okay. <laughs> For both myself and uh, London May. Okay. So, so you, uh, that was the deal, but, that you guys were both drummers in Samhain, so you kind of took place. Right. So I played bass on the stuff he played drums on and vice versa. So. Yeah. Um, yeah, I had never played bass. Glenn knew that I can strum, you know, guitar for for rhythm chords, and he's like, "Well, I think you could do bass." I'm like, "All right." I didn't even own a bass, yeah. So I borrowed a bass from a friend to to learn the songs. I I spent more time learning the songs for for bass, you know, uh, like the stuff from November Coming Fire, than I did practicing the drums. So it was interesting. I actually enjoyed it. That was a really cool tour. Was there ever any talk of Erie coming back? I mean, how did like I, I assume? I know that there was a, uh, a great relationship between him and Glenn. Definitely at that time. I just don't know if there was even like should he try to mend fences or? Yeah, um, you know, I can't speak for that. Uh, you know, there was all kinds of talks, and you know, I don't, I don't really get involved in in the relationships that Glenn has or doesn't have with other people. Okay. I know that I don't, I haven't had any kind of interaction with him, um, since 1999. Uh, uh when I found out that I was going to do this. So, you know, uh, some people, you know, people can think whatever they want, but you know, you know, everybody's got their own thing and, you know, but no, I, I, it wasn't brought up at that time. What about like possibly doing a record, uh, like another Sam Hain album? Was any talk of that? No, look, you mean like now or it actually whenever, you know, honestly, from that point forward, if there was any. No, I think there's certain things that need to, to just, you, you live from the, you live by the past in some instances and and it, and it's much better. You know, it's like a lot of bands today, right? 
you come out with music. If you're if you're a a mature band that's been around for decades and you come out with new music, how do you, you know, you you had a moment in time, right? Mm-hmm. It's that moment in time. You're going to try to reproduce it. Do you still have that same drive or that same, you know, all that crap that's in your mind as a kid or as as a younger adult? You're, you're different now. Do you still have that same energy? I don't know. I don't know if it could be pulled off. I don't know. In some instances, it can. In some instances, it can. It's definitely a transition that some artists struggle with where others do it more seamlessly. I, I'll agree to that. Yeah, I, I mean, and, and that, you know, for like Black 29, if you listen to the record, it's 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 a roller coaster ride. Mm-hmm. There's up-tempo songs, there's down-tempo songs, there's, there's a little bit of everything. I don't, we didn't write, we don't write with anything in mind as far as like what we want to sound like. You try to, you know, convey, I, I, I believe I'm an energetic person, right? I am not a person who sits still. Uh, I just can't do that. I'm not a person to lay on the couch and watch TV. That's not me. I have to keep moving. You kind of described every drummer I've ever met. <laughs> well, so, so, so that's what I'm saying with black 29, I'm hoping that what I was feeling comes across to others in all different you know, age groups, right? Because again, I, I'm, you know, I deal with a lot of, um, uh, you, you know, uh, like younger bands as far as like producing people and stuff like that. And the energy is so important with anything, mm-hmm. right? Everything is energy. So that's what I was hoping to convey with, with Black 29. And as going back to what your question was, I don't know if we can get anything across today. And, is there do people really want to hear new music? I mean, you take artists today. Let's take an older artist like Billy Joel, who hasn't had a new album since like I think it's over thirty years. Yeah. Like, because he even says nobody nobody cares. Nobody wants to hear anything new. I've heard him say he doesn't have anything to say. <laughs> He's like, I don't have any songs to write, man. I did them all or something. You know, he just right. It's just not him anymore. And, and I've said this in, under, in other interviews where when I say people really don't want to hear new music because established artists like that, you listen to their music from the past mm-hmm. because that past takes you to a time in your life where you felt free and you weren't burdened, you know, with the world's problems on your shoulders and dealing with all the crap that goes on in your everyday life now that you're apparent or whatever the case may be you want to you want to you want to make that music you want to go see him play all his old songs because that takes you back to that moment in time where you just felt your best 100 percent. that's 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 what i get out of it uh, let's talk about the new record uh then uh black 29 the album the waiting comes out march 3rd on cleopatra records probably right around the time you're listening to this people i'll have links in here where people can go uh pre-order it Steve, I got to listen to this album for the first time last night. I was not familiar with your previous record, so I'm going to go back and dig into that when I get a chance here. Uh, so I went in blind, and I got to tell you, I was really surprised. This was an amazing record. I think you did a good job of describing it, calling it a roller coaster. I think the biggest compliment that I can give someone uh, when they, they they put out a creative product is that I was never bored. 
I, I really enjoyed the the whole process. So why don't you break down a little bit like how this came together? I know you you, you work with a guy named Dan Tracy. Uh, I apologize, I'm just not familiar with him. Um, but yeah, you guys co-wrote and co-produced this album. Give us a give us the pitch. So you know, Dan and I had played together for a number of years with different bands, and we we hit a moment in time where other members left to pursue other bands, cover bands, whatever yeah. it may be. Uh, because they, you know, look, they got tired of, of, of waiting around, you know, with original music. It's not easy. It's, this is the music business, right? What do they say? Here today, hmm. gone later today, right? <laughs> <So>. <laughs> Hadn't heard that one yet, but I'll, I'll take it. Well, but it, it but it's true. Mm-hmm. So people get frustrated. So it, I, Dan and I sat there kind of looking at each other going, okay, I guess we have to get new members and, they were kind of like, well, I knew Dan as a bass player, and Dan was always a great bass player. But he goes, you know, I I play guitar. I go, I didn't, I had no idea, you know. So we sat there. We're like, all right, let's write a song. Unfortunately, I own a my own recording studio, so having a home recording studio allows me to do what I want when I want. So we sat here, we wrote a song, we recorded it, and we looked at each other. We're like. But not bad for two guys. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, it, it's kind of our our situation works really well because I, I have an idea in my head and I and Dan has become very good at deciphering when I kind of give him that idea that I have and we we take it. Again, I come from a very simplistic background of, you know, four chords to me are great. Give mm. me the hook. Right. Yeah. You, it, it can be one song, uh, it could be one chord, and, and but as long as it's got a hook, who cares? You know, um, Dan comes from a totally opposite direction, you know, more of like the classic stuff and Prague. Like he'll listen to his iPad or iPod must have like 10,000 songs on it. And you could be in a car with him and one song is like 10 minutes long. <laughs> and I'm like, please change his friggin' song. Where's the chorus, yeah. right? So when we when we when we get that, you know, bring those two elements together, I think it works. Uh, it it forces us as just two people to not listen to parts because a lot of times when you have a band, every member in a band always listens for their parts and not for the song. In this case, I'm doing vocals and drums. Dan's doing guitar, bass, and backup vocals. So we have to listen for the song and not not the parts. Mm-hmm. Like, does this fit? If not, not let's get rid of it. We'll, you know, so we work around it. And and to me, it's it's a it's a really cool working situation because again, it's the two of us. Now, I I I love a band situation. We just, you know, we had to do what we had to do because Again, fighting musicians is a big battle to begin with. And musicians that want to stick around is a whole nother thing. So we're actually putting a band together now to take this out and and play shows. Really? That'll be cool. Oh, yeah. It's going to be awesome. So the people that uh, we have in mind that we should announce soon, it'll be great. They're great musicians and they'll do the music justice. You you do have a couple guests on here. I know Johnny Kelly comes in for a song or two, but other than those guests, it is just the two of you doing everything. Yeah, 
So it's just Dan and myself on the two cover songs that are on the CD uh, and one's on the album Destroyer by the Kinks and, of course, Long Cool Woman by the Hollies, which were two songs uh, that I liked as a kid. And Cleopatra had asked me to uh, collaborate on like a duet with Yerky from the 69 Eyes. And I'm like, great, Yerky's got a, an amazing, this deep baritone voice yeah. thing. And I'm thinking, like, what am I going to do? What kind of songs can I do with Yerky? I'm like, well, we can trade vocals on something. But it's different than doing a duet with a female, right? Because yeah. that's that's a lot easier. So I picked these two songs, and I think it worked really well. Uh, and, of course, Yerky's on those two songs as a Johnny and Tommy Victor, you know, from Prong and Danzig. So I was very fortunate that they, you know, were uh, able to do that. Uh, I love the Destroyer cover. I, I thought it came out great. I, a long cool woman in a black dress. Like I, I, I know you probably just went and googled the lyrics, but have have you ever tried to decipher what he's saying just from raw ear? Uh, it's one of the most amazing vocals I think of all time. I mean, <laughs> the original recording is just amazing. You know, I, I remember hearing that on AM radio when I was a kid. And, uh, you know, I had to Google the lyrics because <laughs> when I'm trying to listen to it, I'm like, is, is, what, what did he say there? You know kind of interesting yeah <laughs> just a little side Wait, tangent there <laughs> my favorite tracks if you if you care to hear blackout was a uh, the, the opening track really kind of kicks you in the face great great way to open the album uh don't mind the pain was cool and talking about the sam hain stuff this the, the song um the waiting game kind of gave me a little bit of a sam hain vibe like almost like if we were to fast forward 20 years this is what possibly exactly
you hit the nail on the head. Wow. So, so um, the waiting song um, was really, you know, again, I, I, when I think of ideas, you know, I think a lot of them like while I'm driving and stuff, and I'll put the voice memo thing on on my phone, and I just kind of hum in there. And when that, when we were doing that song, it was really my uh, tribute to the the throwbacks of some of the 80s stuff that was going on but with the modern twist to it the stuff that came uh you know they used to call back cave music and things like you know you, you would hear in clubs back in new york like danceateria and and such uh and they had this the it was, i think it was the fourth floor where they played all this dark music and stuff like that specimen and Bauhaus and and you know and like sam hain stuff and i just kind of it was my ode to that okay yeah it definitely comes across man um what are some of your favorite tracks on here you know blackout is 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 really um one of my favorite i just think it's one of those songs i i you know i love the drums in it and i took i have that like there's some piano in it which i stole from uh i want to be your dog which was Bowie playing piano on the on on, on that song, mm-hmm. and it's like just just this one note thing. Um, uh, I don't mind the pain. I think there's songs like um, "End of Days," w- which is cool. Uh, you know, everyone has each song to me has a different meaning to it. Um, and if I if I look at a song like uh, "Of Love of Hate of Pain," it's such a simple song. Um, but there, the chorus in it is, it's kind of like, um, in my mind, it was a little Susie and the Banshees. Okay. You know? Nice. So, but, you know, in my mind, at least. So, well, I don't know how much time you guys spent sequencing, but it has a great flow to it from beginning to end. Like I said, I was not bored for a second. I didn't find myself drifting away. And also, it's not too long. You know what I mean? A lot of times, I think, yeah. with, in nowadays and age, our attention spans are so short, it's a little difficult. So, well done. It would be because of, because of my ADD Supreme uh, Plus <laughs> I have, right? But, no, you know, you're, you're talking about, like, you were bored, and thank you. I appreciate that. We, we sat here with different playlists and going, how does this work? How does this work? How does, you know, and I'm like, oh, I, you know, finally I would put it on in the car while I'm driving and going, yeah, this works. I'm actually not bored. So if I'm not bored, then hopefully somebody else won't be bored. Yeah, you go through the process of recording, mixing, mastering, and then you, you've heard these songs how many times. So, yeah, if you can still keep your attention, um, I think people are going to yeah. like it a lot. Uh, and if you get out on tour, if you come anywhere near me, I'll make sure I, I make an introduction. Steve, um. This I, has been I, a lot I, of fun. Do you have any? Did it, was there anything you need to promote that I didn't cover? Look, you know we're going to be out there with Danzig, uh, uh, Morning Noise, and of course Black Twenty Nine. Uh, you know, support original music. You, you don't realize it. People look at it as a commodity, but it's not. You know, it's something that lasts forever, mm-hmm. and something when, it, especially when it hits a nerve to people, you know, it's part of the soundtrack of your life. So it's always good to support new music, original music, you know. Yeah, and I'm a big proponent of uh, buying, not renting. But uh, streaming does pay off, but it, it probably is no secret to you that uh, the physical stuff probably hits you in the pocketbook a little better, a better way to support you financially, I guess. Well, 
look, I think a, a physical aspect for me anyway, I love I, I love still getting like vinyl mm-hmm. and why I or you know, even CDs for that matter, because as a kid, I always couldn't wait to buy a new you know record to open up and look at the credits to see who produced it who who used what and to me that was that was so such valuable information and i think you know to have something tangible in your hands is so important sure. because we rely so much on on you know streaming and everything and one day if the satellites fell out of the sky or failed you got nothing yeah uh, well, once again, thank you for your time. And the record thank you so much. Uh, comes out March 3rd on Cleopatra Records. Like anybody listening to this, all the links for pre-ordering or ordering from you guys directly will be in the show notes. And, yeah, Steve, hopefully I'll see you uh, out on the road here soon. I hope so. All right, man. Thank you for your time. You have a good day, man. are you on i'm in the middle man i'm in st paul minnesota snow in there it's nfl draft season and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football fantasypoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points fantasypoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play whether you play fantasy football daily fantasy sports or do a little bit of everything fantasy points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. Fantasy Points.